Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnerless. When I was a kid, I started delivering newspapers when I got my first bicycle. I would get up real early, wrap the papers up, put them in my basket, and I would hit the road. I started noticing the other people who were up at that time. People headed to work in New York City, and delivery men. Now, I grew up right outside of New York City, but my town was sort of a throwback in that we didn't have any fast food chains in town, we still had a local pharmacy. It was kind of nice. And one of those, at the time, dying oddities of the town was that we had delivery services like milk and soda. All of the older people in town had these tin boxes that were insulated, and the milkman would come every morning and put them in. And the soda people who bottled their own soda in town would come around and distribute soda as well as other sodas right on your doorstep in the morning. I became a bit of a soda pop fan real early in life. I love this stuff. I still do. And as I rode my bike every morning, it started to wear me down. I wanted to have that feeling of coming out in the morning and seeing my soda on the front steps. So I went home. And like any good kid, started begging for this to happen. My mother was smart. She knew that I probably wouldn't drink that much soda. Or perhaps she thought I shouldn't drink that much soda. But she also knew that I probably wouldn't shut up until that soda showed up once. So she said, if you save up the money, you do the call, you can order some soda to the house. Yes. Just to get this over with. We did call it soda in our area. I know other people call it pop. Sometimes I'll refer to it as soda pop to please both camps. But if you'll excuse me at my regional colloquialism, I refer to it as soda. We didn't really have that much soda in the house when I was young. We would have it on weekends or if we went out to eat. But normally we had iced tea in the house or milk. We also drank water occasionally, but who wants to drink water when you have milk or iced tea? When that first case of soda showed up at the doorstep, I was like a kid in a candy store. I drank so much that week. Half the case I ordered was local bottled stuff, orange and grape. I love grape soda, I love orange soda. The other half was Coke and Pepsi, still served in glass bottles. It's at this point that I determined that I really liked Coca-Cola. That was my beverage of choice. And from that point on, whenever we went out, I became militant about drinking Coke. I would not even touch Pepsi. I would laugh it off, which is odd because Pepsi was very popular in my family and in the town I grew up in. So as the 80s marched along, a new Coke was on the horizon. And having seen everyone around me drinking Pepsi, I was very excited. Perhaps my brand would suddenly break out and become the brand that everybody drank again. When new Coke showed up at our local Acme, I was one of the first people down there to buy some. Brought it home, got it cold, tasted it and didn't like it. It was too sweet. At that point, I decided I have to stock up on real Coke. I went to the store with whatever money I could find and started buying soda by the bottle. I maybe bought 15 or 20 bottles to stock up on, which was quite a lot of money for me at the time. Fortunately for me, by the time I had moved through even half of it, the new Coke debacle had passed. I could buy Coke Classic. The people who had become fans could continue drinking this new Coke. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, the Cola Wars were a big part of what was being talked about at the time. And I don't think in modern times we've seen Pepsi rise up against Coke in the way that they did back then. On today's show, we're going to talk about new Coke. 
We'll talk about the people behind the idea. We'll talk a little bit about the history of Coke. We'll talk about the rise of New Coke, why they did it, why it failed. We'll talk about Pepsi's reaction. And we'll talk about the legacy and the conspiracy theories behind the change to New Coke. It should be a real fun episode, and we've got a lot of great stuff ahead of us. So without further ado, let's start the show. Like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. If you don't drink soda pop or maybe live in a cave, you should know that Coca-Cola is a carbonated soft drink. Presently, it is sold in over 200 countries and is produced by the Coca-Cola Company of Atlanta, Georgia. It was introduced in the late 19th century by John Pemberton and was originally intended as a patent medicine. Soon, Coca-Cola would be bought out by a businessman named Asa Griggs Candler, who was a marketing genius and started Coke on the road to soft drink dominance. And he was quite successful. Just as World War II ended, the market share for Coca-Cola was nearing 60%. But even at that early time, Pepsi had started on a marketing campaign aimed at youth. And that campaign, which took time to kick in, started to work. And by 1983, Coke's share had shrunk to under 24%. Have you noticed? You hear something new at fountains today. People who think young say, Pepsi, please. The lively crowd today agrees. Those who think young say, Pepsi, please. They pick the right one, the modern light one. Now it's Pepsi for those who think young. When you say, Pepsi, please, you're putting yourself among people who like their Pepsi had begun to outsell Coke in almost every market, and Coke only maintained its edge in its fountain sales. Market analysts at the time saw that baby boomers were an increasingly powerful segment, and they thought that as those people got older, they would switch more to diet drinks. Therefore, the full-calorie soft drinks would be drank mostly by young drinkers. Those drinkers at the time favored Pepsi, and that's probably because of the marketing and what people said at the time was the sweetness in it. It seemed that these marketing people were right. Coca-Cola's problem wasn't just Pepsi, but it was everything around it, including its own products, namely Diet Coke. Diet Coke was a runaway success, and probably the reason for that is that it wasn't just Coke without sugar. The company had formulated Diet Coke in a completely different way. They created an entirely new flavor from the ground up, one they thought was smoother and had less bite. 
people loved it. So as Diet Coke and Pepsi started to climb the charts, holding the number two and number three spot, Coke was on the edge of losing the cola war. Coke had to react. Lucky for them, Coke got a new chairman, director, and CEO, one Robert Goizuta. And Goizuta is one of those great American stories. He was born into a prominent family in Havana, Cuba, and his family was in the sugar business. He went to college in Cuba at first, and then came to America to study at Yale, earned his bachelor's degree in chemical engineering, and returned to Cuba in 1953 to work in the family business. He was looking through the paper when he found a want ad to work at the Coca-Cola bottler in Cuba. A very short time later, he rose up the ranks to become the chief technical director of five Cuban bottling plants. Then Castro took over in Cuba, and his family, who were on vacation at the time in Florida, decided to stay. Guizuda would go to work for Coca-Cola in Miami and would eventually become a chemist for the Caribbean region. In 1964, he moved to Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta, and at the age of 35, he became the youngest person to hold the vice president of technical research and development role. In 1979... He was made president of the Coca-Cola company, and in 1981, he assumed the chairmanship. He would remain at the helm of Coca-Cola for 16 years, taking it all through the 80s and into the 90s. Yes, he would be responsible for new Coke, but he would also be responsible for Coke's enormous rise afterwards and cementing its place as one of the most powerful companies in the world. When he did take over as CEO, he told employees there was nothing sacred in the company, not in how it did business and not how it formulated its drink. Little did they know that he was very serious about that. Mr. Green? Mr. Green? Yeah. You, you need any help? Mm-mm. I just want you to know, I think, I think you're the best ever. Yeah, sure. Want my Coke? It's okay, you can have it. No, no. Really, you can have it. Okay. Coca-Cola had embarked on a very secret project that they called Project Kansas, and it was meant to test and perfect the new flavor for Coca-Cola. The company's marketing department went out into the field, armed with new samples of a brand new drink for taste tests, and what they found is that people overwhelmingly chose a sweeter-tasting, high-fructose corn syrup-based drink. And when they were asked if they would buy it and drink it if it were in Coca-Cola, most said yes. Now, what to do with this new beverage at the time made people scratch their head. Would they create a brand new flavor, a new Coke, and yet at the same time keep the old Coke? Or would they change their flagship product altogether? Guizuda was not afraid to make that change, as he said before. Now, you all remember the Pepsi challenge, right? This was huge press at the time and influenced people to no end. But they didn't really look at the science behind why people were picking Pepsi over Coke. Instead, they were just thinking, Pepsi is the superior product. People have looked at it a lot since then. And basically, the SIP test, as it's called, is largely seen as a flawed method for tasting beverages. Now, why is that? Well, when you sip a little bit of Pepsi, it is sweeter. It has more sugar than Coke. 
and that's pretty satisfying. But you don't really ever drink that small amount of a beverage. So if you continue to drink a beverage, and had they decided to do that and increase the volume, people might have actually chosen Coke because it is less sweet. The idea of the Pepsi challenge and the fact that it really worked was enough to convince the public and was enough to strike fear into Coca-Cola executives at the time. And so they were ready to throw the whole thing out the window and start over. And that's kind of what they did. They rejected the idea of gradually changing the drink's flavor incrementally without announcing it, even though tests have shown that that actually might have worked better in the long run. On April 19, 1985, Coke let it be known that a major announcement was planned for Tuesday, April 23rd. Now, they didn't say exactly what it was, but Pepsi thought something big is going to happen and that they might have forced it. Being a powerful company that they are, they were able to get their hands on some smuggled new Coke. And their reaction to it was fairly negative, but they thought that the new sweetness could actually be a threat to them. So they went into attack mode. They declared a company-wide holiday, giving everyone off, and took out a full-page ad in the New York Times, proclaiming that Pepsi had won the long-running Cola Wars. Coke was completely preoccupied trying to plan their big day to launch their new product and didn't really pay attention to all these. But this allowed Pepsi to cultivate skepticism among reporters and the themes that they would talk about, the added sweetness, the loss of market share, the reactionary nature of the change would come into play in the public discourse over the change to Coca-Cola formula. On April 23, 1985, new Coke was introduced. That week, production of the original formula soda ended. They held a press conference at New York City's Lincoln Center to introduce the new formula, and it didn't go very well. Pepsi had gotten through to a lot of reporters, and a lot of their opinions reflected the opinions that Pepsi had been pushing in its quick marketing campaign. After a century of dominating the world's soft drink market, Coca-Cola is changing. The last time the Coke formula changed was 1903, when Coke had a bit too much of the real thing, cocaine. Since then, the product has remained unchanged. 99.8% water and sweetener, with the remainder of the recipe of flavoring so secret it was stored in this Atlanta bank vault. The new Coke formula will be kept just as secret. The soda pop aficionados say it's, it's just like Diet Coke with a lot more sweetener. Great new taste. Sweeter and better, according to the new multi-million dollar ad campaign. launched with something resembling a wine-tasting party, the chairman of the board gave this completely partisan assessment. Smoother, uh, uh, rounder, yet, uh, yet uh, bolder. But there were other opinions. It's sort of flat, and it is sweet, sort of like you left it in an open can in the refrigerator a while. To hype the new Coke, salesmen are getting this video pep talk from Coke's head office. So let's let her rip. Let's land on the beaches and go all the way. The new Coke is intended to lure back Coke drinkers who have switched to rival Pepsi and other drinks. So many have switched, in fact, that in the last four years, Coke lost 2% of the soft drink market. Well, one percentage point of market share in the soft drink industry is generally believed to be $250 million, approximately. What is it? Pepsi is declaring victory in the cola wars, with Coke trying to distance itself from the old product. Pepsi workers will get Friday off to celebrate something they say has been coming for a long time. These two products, Pepsi and Coke, 
have been going at it eyeball to eyeball. And in my view, the other guy just blinked. The new Coke release was big. It was all over the news, commercials started coming up. They made a big deal about giving out this new Coca-Cola. In fact, workers who were fixing it up for its centennial were given free cans to take home. And in Washington, D.C., thousands of free cans were given out to people. I guess the message at that point was Coke equals America, at least in New York and D.C. And new Coke in these markets where it was pushed did perform better. They were up 8% over the same period the year before. Most Coke drinkers seemed to like it, and surveys indicated that a majority of them liked the new flavor. But that was about to change because of a very vocal minority. We're going to take a quick break from new Coke to talk a little bit about a video game called Pepsi Invaders. It was an advert game made for the Atari 2600 based on the popular Space Invaders. And instead of the normal invaders that fell down, you had the word Pepsi and an alien at the end dropping down on you. Basically, it was an official ROM hack that was commissioned by Coca-Cola for the 1983 sales convention. Now in a new segment, here's Peachy with his ultra-concise video game review of Pepsi Invaders. You shoot stuff. Thanks, Peachy. Despite its acceptance in a lot of these markets, a very vocal minority resented the change, and they let themselves be known. A big groundswell of support for Old Coke came from its historical home base in the South, but it wasn't a phenomenon that was confined to the South. Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green ridiculed the new flavor and really came out against Coke executives for having changed it. Talk show hosts, comedians, everybody went into it. Even Fidel Castro, who basically gave Coke its leader and also happened to be a longtime Coke drinker, lashed out at the new Coke and said it was a sign of American capitalist decadence. Pepsi, of course, took advantage of the situation. They ran ads in which Pepsi drinkers would have a drink and exclaim, now I know why Coke did it. A lot of their ads after that would echo that theme. What's the matter, Wilbur? They changed my Coke. Something wrong with it? I don't know, but they sure changed it. Coulda asked. Right, coulda. I stuck with them through three wars and a couple of dust storms, but this is too much. Guess something big made them change. Right, big. Right, big. Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. Still coulda asked. Now, despite this, Pepsi didn't make major gains. Sales were up, but they weren't grabbing a lot of Coke drinkers. It seemed that people who were angry at Coke either were secretly buying it or restrained themselves from buying it altogether. The big problem is it had become cool to ridicule new Coke. And how does somebody recover from something like that? We'll find out after we hear from Jonathan and this week's Retro Rewind. Hey there, all of you retroists. Jonathan here with this week's latest breaking news of the past with this week's Retro Rewind. So shut off that Betamax and let's begin. And if you were spending your paper out money, you were checking out FX. And you were going to the land of fantasy with the never-ending story too. You had Walt Disney's masterpiece, a Fantasia, L.A. Story, and the Warriors back in 1979. You had the Fly 2, Cousins, Das Boot. And you were gearing up for your arm wrestling skills for Over the Top. 
Now, once you were leaving the cinema, you found yourself catching the small screen, and you were eating your TV dinners and snacking on your ding-dongs to the FCC hearings of 1963 when ABC Network accused of boosted ratings with sex and violence. In 1940, you had the debut of Tom and Jerry, which was created by Hanna-Barbera, and it debuted by MGM. And in 1989, yep, you can put on your white suit jacket because Miami Vice's 100th episode was seen on TV. Now going into the latest breaking news of the newspapers and all those chronicles, the musical review Chicago opened at the Schubert Theater. In 1942, you had the Archie comic book debuting. And in 1964, you had the Beatles' first live appearance in the United States at the Washington, D.C. Coliseum. In 1984, Wayne Gretzky set the NHL shorthanded season scoring record at 11. And James Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson in 1990 to win the heavyweight boxing crown. And in 1959, an ongoing, an American staple, the Barbie doll officially went on sale. Now, if you were cruising through your car, you were driving in your Gremlin or your Toyota, you were rocking out to a variety of different tracks. And the song Straight Up by Paul Abdul topped the charts and stayed there for three weeks back in 1989. You had Too Much by Elvis Presley playing on the charts and Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart was chilling in 1979. You had The Power of Love by Celine Dion back in 1994 and One Bad Apple by The Osmonds was making you bebop, snap, and scoot around in 1971. In 1945, you had the Andrews Sisters hitting number one with rum and Coca-Cola. And Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon was on the charts for its 402nd week back in 1982. And finally, one of my personal favorites, Weird Al Yankovic officially recorded Ricky and the Buckingham Blues for his debut LP. So all of you retroists, that's it for this week, the week of February 12th. And as always, if you have any tidbits or information that you'd like to share, feel free to email me, jonathan at retroist.com. And if you're absolutely bored silly and want to talk retro, you can always instant message me on AOL Instant Messenger, RFR Podcast. So until next time, all of you retroists, here's back to you. Thanks, Jonathan. Internally, Coke was not united in their love of the new Coke. And almost from the beginning, executives at the company wanted to reintroduce the old formula and have it run at the same time with the new formula. So internally, there's strife. Externally, it's cool to make fun of them. How does Coke react to such a thing? Well, they bring back the old formula. On July 10th of that very same year, Coke announced that the original formula, Coca-Cola, would return. That's less than three months after New Coke gets introduced. It was such big news that ABC News interrupted regular programming to tell people that old Coke was coming back. And on the floor of the U.S. Senate, it was discussed, and its reintroduction was called a meaningful moment in U.S. history. Our soda pop means a lot here. The old product, when it returned, was called Coca-Cola Classic. And when it came back, people were a bit confused because it tasted a bit different. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a little bit. They had made the switch completely from sugar to high-fructose corn syrup. Interestingly enough, and this acts as a lesson to marketing people everywhere, by the end of the year, Coke Classic was substantially outselling both New Coke and Pepsi, and the company had regained its number one position, and it has enjoyed it ever since. I guess people just needed to be reminded how much they loved Coke. Six months after the rollout of Coca-Cola Classic, Coke sales had increased at more than twice the rate of Pepsi's. Eventually, New Coke sales would dwindle to just 3% of the market, although it did pretty well in some big markets. Since then, I had always been really angry with the classic label being put on Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola 2, or 
New Coke doesn't even exist anymore. So we were forced to stare at that Coca-Cola Classic label up until just last year, 2009, when the company announced that it would discontinue the use of Classic, finally. Happily for everyone at Coke, no one was fired over the New Coke fiasco. At the time, their big spokesman was Bill Cosby, and he decided to end his advertising for Coke, saying that his commercials had praised the superiority of the new formula, and that a switch to it hurt his credibility. I'm not sure that's true, but it was made fun of at the time, and I'm sure he lost face over it. I will now predict the exact moment in time when every single one of you will enjoy the best-tasting Coca-Cola ever. It will be the very moment that you pick up this can, because inside this can is the new taste of Coca-Cola. The best-tasting Coca-Cola ever. You will taste the new taste immediately, and you will like it a lot. Now, if you're a Coke drinker, wait till you taste this one. If you're a Pepsi drinker, well, I predict we're going to be real friendly from here on in for a long, long time. Over the course of the 80s, New Coke continued to do what it was built to do. It won taste tests. In 1987, the Wall Street Journal surveyed 100 randomly selected cola drinkers. Given a chance to try Coke, New Coke, and Pepsi in a blind taste test, New Coke won. In a humorous twist, when people find out that they chose a brand that wasn't theirs, they almost always react angrily. They believe that they know what they're drinking, but... They're drinking an image. They're drinking what's been sold to them their whole life. In the short run, the reintroduction of Coca-Cola Classic saved Coke's sales numbers and made a lot of people happy. But in the company, since both existed at the same time, they didn't know how to market both brands. It was easy to figure out how to sell Coke. You could appeal to the patriotic nature of Americans. And they settled on a Red, White, and You campaign. But the ad campaign they'd come up with for New Coke, the best just got better, really didn't make sense when they had already decided to go back to the old Coke. And it didn't help when McDonald's, who was all about being youthful at the time, decided to switch back to classic Coke in every store across the country. In 1986, Coke's marketing team found a strategy by returning to the roots of why they changed the drink. They went after Pepsi's youth market, and they found a spokesman in Max Headroom, and he spearheaded Coke's new Catch the Wave campaign. This campaign was launched with a very memorable commercial that went a little bit like this. Hi, Max Headroom here with... This is my guest. I heard you were big time in the old pop biz. Well, I'm going to take that as a no comment. So, nitty gritty time. What I'm talking about, and you're not, is that more people prefer the new refreshing taste of Coke over Pepsi. Sweating me? It's true. More people are, as we Cokeologists say, catching the wave. Catch it if you can, can. Catch the wave. Coke. <gasps> the campaign was a huge success, and surveys showed that more than three quarters of the target market were aware of the ads within two days. People were talking about Max Headroom. Max became very popular, and Coke's corporate hotline was inundated with calls. New Coke would eventually be rechristened Coke 2, and would start to be test marketed in certain cities in the 90s. But at this point, Coke did little to distinguish or promote this second brand. And in about a year or two, Coke was largely off the market in American stores. By the late 90s, it could only be found in some scattered Midwestern markets, and in 2002, New Coke, Coke 2, was discontinued entirely. New Coke had the spotlight for only about three months, but its shadow is long. And 
Because it was so short-lived and Coke was so popular afterwards, it led to a bunch of conspiracy theories as to why it was done. The three big conspiracy theories are that the company had intentionally changed the formula, hoping that consumers would be upset and demand for the original formula would return and would cause the huge spike that they got. Another big theory was that they needed to remove the coca derivatives from the original product, and this was a smokescreen for them to do it at the time. And interestingly enough, because of pressure at the time and worry over the coca fields in Peru, the new formula and the reintroduced formula would have no coca in it. The third theory that's really gotten popular recently because of the concerns about high fructose corn syrup was that this was a plan switch all along, that Coke wanted to stop using sugar and wanted to start using high fructose corn syrup, and this was a way for them to make the switch and to switch back without alarming people that they were using this new sweetener. Are any of these true? I doubt it. I think the company's president at the time said it best when he said, we're not that dumb and we're not that smart. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow The Retroist on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to Jonathan for another great retro rewind. You can listen to Jonathan's own podcast, Rotting Flesh Radio, at rfrpodcast.com. If you like the art that you see at the top of every podcast, it's done by Christopher Tupa. You can see more of Christopher Tupa's art on the site or at his own site, ctupa.com. That's c-t-u-p-a dot com. Thanks to Peachy for his extremely concise review. Peachy does a lot of the music that you hear in the Retroist podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Peachy about music, you can email him at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you had a great weekend. Soda pop, soda pop, soda pop, sody pop. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.